Welcome to The Kids Are All Right, the podcast that explores big global issues from a young and fresh perspective. I'm Noloazim Joacha, originally from South Africa. I moved to Paris, France three years ago to pursue a master's degree. I'm a news enthusiast and have always been interested in what young people think and are doing to address some of the things I read about in the news. Before we begin, here's a message from my colleague Mega Thomas, who helped me produce this podcast. Hey there, thanks for tuning in to today's episode. The Kids Are All Right was produced by a team of students and aspiring journalists interested in learning more about some of the biggest issues facing the global community. From social media fame, to the Venezuelan crisis, to climate change, we've reached out to young people and experienced professionals alike in order to provide you with different perspectives on hot topics. We hope you enjoy it. Share your thoughts with us on Twitter at Kids All Right News or on Instagram at Kids Are All Right News. Sharks and Acid. No, this isn't the name of an obscure alternative band. It's the focus of today's episode. The oceans are sick because of certain human activities, namely overfishing and carbon emissions. Here's a quick chemistry lesson before we jump into today's episode. When carbon dioxide dissolves in this ocean, carbonic acid is formed. This leads to high acidity, mainly near the surface, which has been proven to have an adverse effect on marine life and our oceans. The pH scale measures how acidic or basic a substance is and ranges from 0 to 14, increasing in acidity as we approach zero. Over the past 300 million years, ocean pH has been slightly basic, averaging about 8.2 on the pH scale. Today, it is around 8.1, a drop of 0.1 pH units. That change may sound negligible, but it represents a 25% increase in acidity over the past two centuries. So where do the sharks come in? Well, they're part of the same ecosystem. As predators, they help maintain sustainable levels of herbivorous fish populations who eat algae that in high abundance kill corals. But ecosystems are as complicated as they are fragile, so the relationship mustn't be simplified. Our reporter on this episode is Gabriella Iskra. Here she is to tell us more. This is Gabriella. I'm 28 years old and a fundraiser and campaigner for Greenpeace. We chose to look at this subject of the destruction of coral reefs and shark fishing because, as Nawazi mentioned, it's um, an issue which has become increasingly uh, dangerous for our planet. And I chose to interview Emma because she's a marine biologist and she's very much involved with these issues. So um, I'm Emma, I'm 24 and I studied marine biology and coastal ecology down at Plymouth. I just spent eight months working in the Seychelles to try and get some experience up. My main interest is uh, more sharks and how they're being affected by fisheries. But yeah, at the moment, still young in the field and quite a broad interest in these issues, so yeah. So when did your um, interest in sharks begin? What's what's the story behind that? Um, That only really began a couple of years ago during my placement year. Um, and I was volunteering with the Large Marine Vertebrate Project, which are based in the Philippines. Okay, and in yeah. the Philippines, something happened between... Well, we were <laughs> we were researching whale sharks, right. which are 
fabulous. <laughs> they're just so. Tell I mean, me more. They're, I mean, they're huge. The kind of largest records are kind of 20 meters long and massive oh things. God. But they, um, they're now an endangered species, and often people are scared of sharks. And there's always a big story, isn't there, when there's yeah. been a shark attack? Yeah. But uh, how many shark attacks are there? They, I think it, it obviously depends yearly. <laughs> yeah. But there's roughly about 10 people die from sharks a year, which, right. I mean, is less than toasters kill a year. It's led to us not really protecting them in the way that we should, in the way that, you know, dolphins would be protected if mm-hmm. similar things were happening. So, right. yeah, it's a bit unfair, and it's, it's led not necessarily just that, but um, a conservative estimate is that 100 million sharks are killed per year. Um, which, if you break that down, that's over 11,000 sharks per hour. That's so a lot. It's, and that's the concern. It could be as much as like 32,000 sharks an that's hour. That's unbelievable. You just wonder how there are any left. And how and important are sharks to ocean life? They're hugely important because um, they kind of act as the immune system of the ocean. So they will pick off the ill, the, the weak, the old, and they leave, you know, a nice living system right. behind with healthy animals most of them aren't top predators but they are keystone species mm-hmm. so yeah when you remove for example on a, on a reef system if you take the sharks away which eat some of the the big fish because the the this population of big fish aren't now controlled then they just deplete the levels below that right. and then that can also lead you're taking out the her- herbivorous mm-hmm. fish which feed mm-hmm. on algae mm-hmm. And then if there's too much algae growing, then mm. it smothers the reefs and the corals, so then they die. So it can actually have really big effects. Why, um, why is it 11,000 an hour? Yeah. Like, where does that statistic come from? I mean. So um, there's a lot of targeted shark fishing for shark fin soup and things, which is huge in Asia. And it's mm-hmm. it was seen as a prosperity thing. So as the wealth goes up, more people are having it. And then you also get huge amounts of bycatch when particularly the tuna longline fisheries. So they, they can have like kilometers of line with hooks all along it and they just aren't very selective so they can they get seabirds often they get turtles sharks and And they all just get killed yeah and then you also have it's well for me it was a bit more of a new thing to become aware of but um it's quite a lot of like sports fishing for sharks and a lot of places advertise like trophy hunting yeah trophy yeah equivalent yeah because they thought if i release it alive it will live but actually a lot are worn out from the fight um, a lot have injuries or high stress levels, and they mm-hmm. end up dying after that. So. And what made you decide to go to the Seychelles? <laughs> <laughs> Not a hard decision to make. Uh, <laughs> um, like many young girls, I always wanted to be a vet, so always had an interest in animals. Um, but when I was 14 on a family holiday, I went scuba diving, and I thought that would be better. <laughs> I was like, if I can do this for work, that seems very good. So um, I think I just Googled like marine research organizations right. or marine centers, mm-hmm. Seychelles, and the Marine Conservation Society, Seychelles, came up. The project that I spent most of my time on was right. a coral restoration project. Coral restoration. Yes. Corals are suffering a lot from climate change. Right. And I've never seen it so bad as I did in the Seychelles. And if it gets hotter than it used to for too long, the corals bleach. And so they literally go... They go white. white. So, so corals, when they become stressed, they mm-hmm. get rid of these algae um, as a method of trying to be like, we don't know what's going on, I feel stressed, we'll get rid of those, we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with the high temperatures, they do that, and that's why they turn white, because they've got rid of their algae. The Seychelles have had two major bleaching events, and one was in 1998, they lost 90% of their coral. 
and then that's unbelievable yeah there was some recovery obviously but in 2016 they had a big one and lost 50% of their corals we had a project where we had exit um coral nursery which means we had some tanks that we put the corals in okay. um, to grow them there as well right. and because they're so sensitive we didn't find they grew too well mm-hmm. and the growth rates were quite slow mm-hmm. but the idea of it is that if there's another big bleaching event yeah. these corals aren't part of that and then yeah. you can put those ones back to kind of replenish but yeah it kind of needs to be done on such a big scale if you want that kind of project to work if there's one thing we can take away it's that unsustainable human activities has a serious cascade effect on marine ecosystems some of which may not even be clear until the damage starts to show After speaking with Emma and learning a bit more about how interconnected marine life is, we decided to turn to Sue Landau and Alistair Doyle. After a career in business and financial reporting at the International Herald Tribune, Reuters and the Investors Chronicle, Sue now writes on climate change for News Decoder. Alistair Doyle is an environment correspondent at Reuters and regularly reports on issues ranging from rising sea levels to climate change. Hi Sue, and thank you very much for your time this morning. Um, To begin, I'd like to just ask you what you think of the work which Emma is doing. I think her work and that of other marine biologists is really important because they're alerting us to the state of the ocean's health. And that is absolutely vital to human survival. The corals are the warning beacon of how sick the oceans in fact are. What happens is is this. There's two things that affect the oceans in a very big way. Uh, Greenhouse gas emissions. We know that that we're warming up the planet because we burn uh, fossil fuels and give off carbon dioxide, but that makes the oceans warmer. The oceans are doing us a huge favour. They're absorbing um, apparently 90%, almost all of that excess heat. But this warmth bakes the coral. And it also means that marine animals' territories are are displaced according to temperatures, which you can obviously understand. Mm. But it takes very little to make a coral uh, reef bleach. Uh, Apparently, just a few weeks with seas at only 1% to 2% warmer than usual. So it's a very sensitive system. And it's not just Sue who believes our oceans are being affected by this crisis. Here's Alistair. Can you explain a little bit how losing coral reefs might affect the rest of the ocean, for example, food chains and nurseries? So a quarter mm. of all life depends upon less than 2% of the ocean floor. So, mm. you know, they, they call them the rainforests of the sea because they're so diverse. Wow. So, yeah. so this means, you know, losing the reefs would have huge knock-on effects across the oceans. You lose the small reef fish sort of the finding Nemo type little fish, the bright colored yeah. angelfish. And yeah. then all the predators up the chain lose out on the source of food right up to you know the big ocean going sharks and tuna fish. Um, yeah. They'd be left without so much food. So it's, of course it's really difficult to know what, what, what would happen without the reefs. Um, and, and if you lose coral reefs worldwide, it's a sign that we're losing on the climate front elsewhere as well. You know, so the big ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica, they'll be melting too unless we do enough to restrict the rise in temperatures. So that in turn will spill into the oceans. I was really shocked to learn how close we were to disaster. So I asked Sue whether she thought we could still save the oceans. 
the problem for me with an environmentalist point of view is that those kind of threats come from the same exploitative model that's created the whole problem. Now, there could perhaps be other ways. An environmentalist approach says that we must at least limit this exploitation of the earth in our own self-interest because we're threatening our own survival. And we're not just talking long-term versus short-term considerations anymore. Uh, short-term for those companies, that will be in, what, the next 20, 25 years. The crunch for the climate and for oceans comes at the end of this century. That is the generation of uh, millennials' children. It's that close. We have just over a decade to dramatically reduce greenhouse gas emissions. This comes from the most recent report published by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change in October. After speaking with Emma, Sue and Alistair, there is one thing I would like to reiterate and that is this. We must take action now before it is too late. You've been listening to an episode of The Kids Are All Right. It was a production from Podium.me and News Dakota. Tell us what you thought of this episode by tweeting us at Kids All Right News. What does it take to start your own business? We hope you tune in for our next episode on entrepreneurship. We'll be speaking to reporter Danny Castonzo as she goes to Indiana University Bloomington to talk with Dr. Trevor Brown, the Assistant Dean for Entrepreneurship, Innovation and Commercialization. Across the pond, we'll also speak with self-made businesswoman Simisola Jolauso in London.